from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. There are four weeks left to go in the 2022 Missouri legislative session, with a lot left on the agenda for lawmakers, including passing the state's budget for the upcoming fiscal year. As the Senate tackles said budget this week, House Democrats believe their chamber left a lot of money on the table. On this week's episode of Politically Speaking, Democratic Representative Sarah Unsicker joins the show to talk about the budget, including some areas she would have liked to see the state spend more money. Unsicker also talks her impressions of the session, along with a news conference she held that raised awareness over for sex trafficking in Missouri. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter Sarah Kellogg. Joining me in St. Louis is my co-host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent. Jason Rosenbaum. And our guest today joining us in Jefferson City. She's sitting right across from me. She is a Democratic representative representing the 91st District in the Missouri House, which includes part of St. Louis County and St. Louis City. Sarah Unsicker. Thank you for joining us on the show, Representative. Before we get started, I'd love it if you reminded our listeners about your district, where it covers, and who you represent. Yeah, currently I am in the 91st District, which is Saint, a little bit of St. Louis, two precincts. It's Shrewsbury, Webster Groves, Crestwood, and Marlboro. Um, but with redistricting, I'm going to be in the 83rd District, which, it, which will be Brentwood, Richmond Heights, Maplewood, Shrewsbury, and a little bit of Acton. Well, I know Jason has a question about your new district a little bit later, uh, but let's get started. So in general impressions of session, what have been your thoughts about how this session has gone so far? This session, well, every session is interesting, but this session seems to be more interesting than most. Um, We have had a lot of slowness in the Senate. Um, There has been only one bill that has gone all the way through at this point. And with only four weeks of session, usually there are at least a handful of bills that have passed through by this point. You know, I'm not happy with most of the bills that have gone through, so I am rather happy that it's slow and hoping that most of the bills that I don't like don't pass. So kind of, you know, part of this slowdown, I think, can be credited to redistricting. How much do you think of the redistricting impasse has affected session? Well, redistricting is, it's really been, um, it's really dragged things down. Um, There's been a lot of infighting among the Republicans about redistricting, and they've really turned it into a gerrymandering sideshow. Um, They're not working on making sure people are well represented by their their congressperson. They're not uh, making sure communities of interest are staying together. Their main focus is to get a specific number of Republicans elected to Congress. And so what is the House Democrats' view of of passing a map that you all could find acceptable? Acceptable to me would be keeping communities of interest together, making sure 
con Congress people represent well their districts. For example, I represent two precincts right now in St. Louis City, and it's hard to represent those constituents because that's like less than 5% of my constituent base. And I don't want there to be a lot of that in the congressional map. I want communities of interest to be together. Um, right now we're a 60-40 state, and so a 7-1 map doesn't make a lot of sense, and it would not well represent a lot of Missourians. What would make more sense? Um, I think a 5-3 map would make more sense, but I know with the Republican supermajority we're not going to get that. But um, more competitive districts, you know, we passed Clean Missouri a few years ago, which would have, which gave us a state demographer until that was overturned by the, by the next election. Um, and I think a state demographer would really look at the districts and draw a good map rather than a political map. Why do you think Republicans should pass a 5-3 map when states that Democrats control have shown no such deference to the GOP? Like, for example, in Illinois, like, they gave Republicans 17 percent of the districts. And in New York, it was a similar percentage. Does that kind of make it more difficult for Missouri Democrats to make the argument that it it should the district should conform to a percentage of whatever the total vote is? Well, we're not other states. We're Missouri. And I think we should do what's right. And what's right is giving people a voice in Congress. So currently at this impasse, you know, lawsuits have been filed. The idea of a court drawing the maps, if this can't get done by the legislature, you know, it's kind of been hanging around. You know, is this the outcome that House Democrats are maybe hoping for? Because that could be more favorable to you all? In a way, I think courts would not be as focused on the number of Republicans and Democrats in Congress. Courts would be focused on getting people, getting communities of interest together. And that's really what we need. With redistricting, with the billions that, you know, y'all are trying to figure out how to allocate, you know, how have Democrats been able to navigate this session and be able to accomplish things? I know there were a lot of Democratic priorities that did manage to make their way into the budget last week. Right. We were able to get quite a bit into the budget, and I was really happy with that. Um, I got a couple budget amendments in um, in committee. I didn't get any in the floor, but I was pretty pleased with that. I got an amendment to put some language in around kids' social security money. Um, right now, the state takes foster kids' social security money and uses that to replace state funds. And the language doesn't change that, but it does require the state to give an accounting four times a year to the parents of the child and to the guardian ad litem and to the child if the child is older. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, right now, parents don't even know the state's taking their kids' Social Security money, and they really don't have any say over it, um, even though the Social Security law states that the parents have priority for being payee over the state. Like I just said, budget was passed last week through the House. You know, what was your opinion on it? It was a large budget, I think something like $47 billion, but there was a lot of money that we left in general revenue unspent that could have been spent well for Missourians. Um, I think there was about $1.8 billion that we didn't spend. Um, there were several proposals for that money which were not taken. 
Um, and right now, the budget chair, Cody Smith, wants to put a billion dollars towards tax credits for individuals. Um, we had that hearing yesterday. It did not go as well as the budget chair had hoped, I believe. Um, he introduced the bill as a tax credit for all Missourians. Um, the press release had said it was would be a $500 tax credit for individuals, and um, but it would be scalable because it, it would be capped at a billion dollars. So if more than a billion dollars was was claimed, then people would get a proportional share of that. So they wouldn't get the $500. They might only get $250 or something to that extent. So um, the Department of Revenue got up, and they picked the bill apart, really. Um, they said it would be very difficult to implement, and they were concerned with the language. Um, we asked them when they had found out a bill about the bill. Um, in the press release, Representative Smith said that he had been working for months on this bill. But the Department of Revenue found out about the bill Tuesday while he was in the gym, and the hearing was Wednesday. So they didn't have all the information because it takes time to get the information we would need to pass that bill. So that did not go very well. So um, I'm not opposed to getting $500 or $1,000. Like, I, I, I'm sure I could use it toward one month of daycare or maybe like less than one month of daycare. But, you know, in my limited experience, like personally going through the state government bureaucracy, like Missouri has a host of problems where that billion dollars could be used. Everything from staffing the children's division to, you know, you and I representative have talked for a long time about inequities in special education. I could just take a fifth of that billion dollars and create like a grant program to maybe help rural school districts or urban school districts get special education personnel. Like, I can tell by your answer, you're not really enthused by this idea, but don't you think this billion dollars could be used in more tangibly important ways to make state government and services better? I think so. Um, and the tax credit is, um, I don't know the terminology so well, but it would go only to people who pay that much tax. So if a person doesn't have a $500 tax burden, then they wouldn't get $500 of this revenue. And that really harms people with low incomes or people on Social Security. Um, they're the people who really need this and would really benefit from this. Um, our estimate is in 2019, we had 227,000 kids in poverty. And, you know, I think it should be if we're going to do a tax credit, I think we should do a child tax credit, and we should make it where every child would get the benefit of the money. Um, Representative Smith talked about everything we're doing for kids, for people in poverty, um, how we've expanded Medicaid, and how we have people on SNAP. But the measure of how well we're taking care of our state shouldn't be how much we're doing, but how many people we have in poverty. 
right now the number is far too high, um, 17% of children. And we need to work to reduce that. Going kind of back to the budget that did pass, you know, what are some ways that you feel that Democrats, you know, influenced that debate, maybe more than in years past? Like we said, we got several amendments in. Um, we were able to work with the budget chair, who was an amenable to our amendments. I think having more money than we've had before, it's easier to get amendments in because we have that money. Um, our budget chair came in with the idea of making government smaller, and he wants to reduce the size of the budget. But right now, that's not the responsible thing to do when we have this much money coming in. Yeah. What do you feel are some things that were missed opportunities that you hope the Senate considers now that it's over in the other chamber? One thing I proposed last week in the budget is a study on labor trafficking that would be done by the University of Missouri. And I proposed $200,000 for that, which in the scope of the budget is not a whole lot of money. But it would really help people not be exploited in labor and help us know the scope of what's happening with labor trafficking in Missouri. Right now, we know quite a bit about sex trafficking, and we've, um, we've passed legislation through the House about sex trafficking victims. But we don't know as a state nearly as much about labor trafficking. It has not been studied as much. And people who are victims of trafficking and exploitation don't come forward for a number of reasons. I've talked to, um, you know, Senate leadership about kind of the budget process. It's going to start next week. You know, $1.8 billion in general revenue is kind of what the House left. And, and, and Senator Majority Leader Caleb Brown said, you know, they're not going to spend all of that, but they are probably going to spend some of it. Is there a possibility where the Senate's going to pass a budget that you think the House Democrats might even be more agreeable to because at least they're going to be spending some of this money? Yeah, I think so. Um, they need, we need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. Um, and I think when the, when the budget comes back to the House, we'll see a lot of that money spent. And we might not agree on where all of it is spent, but I think it'll be more favorable to our position. And the Democrats were pretty happy with the governor's budget when it, he came out. But the chairman's budget cut a lot of things out of that. And a lot of the ARPA money, um, the American Rescue Plan money, um, a lot of general revenue was cut out of it. And I don't think that's the responsible thing to do with Missourians' money is to leave it in the bank. We need to be spending it to take care of Missouri residents. So there's another piece of legislation that's passed the House and passed out of a Senate committee that would allow legislators to not only not fund Medicaid expansion, but I, from from reading uh, some literature from groups that oppose this, it would also give them appropriation power over any part of Medicaid. Um, I expect this to get filibustered immediately when it gets in the Senate and from talking with folks. I can confirm that's what uh, Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo said today. So um, okay. you can so confirm Sarah, it's going to get filibustered. Uh, okay. And I honestly don't think that there's going to be enough votes to previous question this. So I've been very confused what the end game behind this is. Like I pointed out on Twitter that the last time there were cuts to Medicaid in 2005, that's the... The next year, Republicans lost seats in the legislature, which I want to be clear to our listeners. There were other reasons for that. It was a terrible Republican year. But like 
what what why are republicans doing this when like it doesn't seem like this has any trajectory to actually make it to the ballot and if it does it it could be politically disastrous for republicans there is a lot of republican um resentment towards medicaid expansion they worked for years to keep medicaid expansion out of missouri and enough so that it had to go to the ballot um, and be put into the Constitution by Missouri voters because they were so frustrated with the Missouri Republicans in power not doing it. Um, and then they fought it. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And they, for some reason, don't want to make sure that people are healthy in Missouri. The measure of what we should be doing is relates to how many people we can take out of poverty. And if people are healthy, they can work, and maybe they can work jobs that will get them off Medicaid into private insurance. But that won't happen if they're not healthy. And, you know, if they're unhealthy and working a low-wage job that doesn't provide health care, then they're never going to get out of that situation. So if we can provide them with health care and make sure that they have what they need, you know, they might be able to climb out of that. A lot of people who qualify for Medicaid expansion are already working. So the work requirements proposal wouldn't really encourage people to work as much as it would kick people off of Medicaid because it would implement a reporting requirement. So people would have to report that they're working and how much they're working on a regular basis. They would have to know to report. The social services would have to set up a program for people to report. And social services is not doing well with the programs they have right now. So I don't trust them to be able to implement something new um, on top of what they're already doing. So work requirements are a bad idea. Um, an even worse idea is making Medicaid categories subject to appropriation. What that means is every year, the Budget Committee and the House and the Senate would vote to say who could be on Medicaid. You know, they could one year say pregnant women just shouldn't be funded on Medicaid, and that would make them ineligible for Medicaid. That goes against um, the federal government's requirements, um, we have to submit a state plan, and any changes we have to amend the state plan. So if we were to change this every year and change who's eligible for Medicaid, you know, we'd have to approve that through the federal government, which they might not approve. And it's, that would be a real mess for Missouri, and it would result in a lawsuit We've already had too many lawsuits about Medicaid and spent a lot of money on these lawsuits. You know, that's not the best way to spend taxpayers' money, is to fight against what taxpayers want. You know, just to play devil's advocate, what I've heard from Republicans who want to do something like this, or who didn't like the Medicaid expansion amendment in 2020, is that they felt that the handlers of that amendment did not disclose to voters that it would have to be paid for with something. Now, granted, there's a zillion dollars in surplus, but I think that their argument is that when some of this money runs out, 
you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for the state match. How would you respond to that argument? The state match is about 10% or it is 10% of the full total. So it's a very small percentage of the full total cost. And that's a much higher percentage that the federal government would pay than for other Medicaid categories. Last week, we saw about 18,000 people added to the Medicaid expansion rolls. A lot of that was from other categories, like women who are pregnant or had been pregnant in the last two years, children who aged out, and other categories. Right now, we can save money on those people when we transfer them to the Medicaid expansion population because their cost of care is about the same, but we get a lot more from the federal government to cover those people. So that's a way we can save money. And predictions are that Missouri will save a lot of money from Medicaid expansion and it'll also expand our workforce. And you know, our healthcare workforce is one of the biggest workforces in Missouri. And there will have to be more doctors just to keep up with the demand. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. And we're back on Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's State House and Politics reporter, Sarah Kellogg. Joining me is my co-host, Jason Rosenbaum, political correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio. And our guest today is Democratic Representative Sarah Unsicker, who represents the 91st District, which includes parts of St. Louis City and County. It's fun to have another Sarah in the office. Let's get back <laughs> into our questions. And so, you know, earlier in the session, you held a press conference on child sex trafficking with a number of advocates and stakeholders. Can you tell us what you were trying Trying to convey. I was trying to get the message out about what happens with child sex trafficking. Um, it really is a serious problem. QAnon has people thinking kids are yanked off the street, you know, and sex trafficked, and that's really not what happens. Trafficking and exploitation are tied together, and people who are likely to be exploited are vulnerable people. They're kids in foster care. They're undocumented immigrants. They are people with disabilities. We need to be looking out for these people, but we need to understand that sex trafficking and labor trafficking are real problems that we need to address. Missouri is a crossroads for the United States, and we have a lot more trafficking here than is recognized, I believe. When a report came out from the federal government last fall, about the number of missing children in Missouri, I was really concerned. These are foster kids. It said that during 2019, more than 900 kids went missing from Missouri foster care. Now, most of these were recovered and found um, and healthy, and they had just gone to be maybe with their parent who they weren't supposed to be with or another unapproved placement. But for some of these kids, they went to be with who they might have thought was a boyfriend who ended up trafficking them. You know, they might have gone to be with somebody they didn't, they didn't really know. Um, Covenant House has told me that they're a um, homeless shelter for teens and young adults in St. Louis. And they've told me that a large portion of their population of the kids that they work with have been either trafficked or exploited, sexually exploited. 
um, they said half of the kids who are homeless um, get propositioned their first night out. And that's a horrifying statistic. So a bill sponsored by Representative Ed Lewis of Moberly does a number of things. The summary states that, quote, when a child is located by law enforcement and there is reasonable cause to suspect the child may be a victim of sex trafficking, the officer must immediately make a report to the Children's Division within the Department of Social Services. Why is that important and why isn't that being done now? It is really important um, that Social Services knows, um, keeps track of how many victims are suspected, um, and can provide services to them. You know, we want these kids to have treatment to understand what has happened to them, to have the mental health treatment that they need to recover as survivors of sex trafficking. And we're hoping that DSS will be able to provide that. We've heard in a lot of state departments that staffing levels are really low and that current staff are overwhelmed with the amount of, of cases or requests that they have. Yes. Um, and, and, and not saying that what we just talked about is a bad idea. Of course, it's a good idea. But how can we be confident that if this legislation ends up going to the governor, that the Children's Division staffing woes won't have an impact on whether this provision is actually effective. I think it will have an impact on that. Um, staffing levels at Children's Division are at a very, almost an all-time low, I believe. And the Children's Division just has really, has had some real problems in the last few years. They'd gone through a number of directors. Um, and they had a culture, I understand, of fear. Now, I understand the current Children's, Divi Children's Division director, Daryl Missy, um, wants to change that culture. And he wants to improve the morale of Children's Division workers. And I think that's vital to having enough Children's Division workers. He also wants to focus more on prevention than on taking kids into foster care. And I think that's really important. Right now, we have about 1% of Missouri kids who are in foster care. That's 14,000 kids. And a lot of them have been removed not because of abuse or something that can't be remedied, but because of poverty that looks like neglect. You know, things like a family can't keep food in the pantry or they can't keep a roof over the child's head. They really love their kids. They really want to take care of their kids, but they can't afford it. They have problems, um, and these are not unsolvable problems. They are problems that we need to be dealing with rather than taking the kids into foster care. Are there any other provisions in the Representative Lewis's bill that you think are worth highlighting? I was looking through the summary, and it's not just what we were talking about, about reporting the Children's Division, it's pretty multifaceted. What are some other things that you think are going to make a difference toward curbing child sex trafficking? Um, one thing that's going to make a big difference is that the bill makes it so that a child who's under 18 cannot be indicted for prostitution. Right now, that's the federal law. Um, under federal law, a child who is under 18 
is automatically a victim if they're sexually exploited. This bill follows the federal law, and I think that's really important because kids cannot consent to sex, and they certainly can't consent to sex for money. What do you think is the prognosis for this legislation going to the end of session? You know, it seems like something that should be able to get to Governor Mike Parson's desk, but predicting anything with the legislature, especially with four weeks left, you know, seems, you know, a little, little hard to do. But what are your thoughts on kind of the trajectory of it? Well, this is a really good bill. Representative Lewis worked really hard on it to make it the best he could with a lot of input from stakeholders, from people who work with trafficking victims. And that is really important. And I hope the Senate recognizes that. And I hope the Senate will pass it through clean and send it to the governor's desk, because I think this is a really important bill. So now we're going to transition to, uh, I guess we're now dubbing it like our lightning round, which okay. is uh, fun. Uh, we like to think it's fun because <laughs> uh, we're, we're the ones asking the questions. But uh, so let's get started with this lightning round. We want to kind of keep it to a couple sentences per answer. Okay. Uh, so our first question is, could you see Democrats getting behind a government issued photo ID law if it includes an expansion of no excuse in person voting? That's a really difficult one. Um no in excuse in-person absentee voting is what I assume you mean. It would basically be that you could go to an election authority early and vote for any reason. You wouldn't have to say that you're going out of town or you wouldn't have to say that you're ill. You could just go for whatever reason, which frankly, I, I this is going to sound like editorializing, but frankly, it's the truth. People lie about those excuses now. Like, they lie all the time, and there's no way for people who are election authorities to know. So, and I've talked to a lot of election authorities who have told me that. So, anyways, that's my my rant is over on that. So, a photo ID requirement is unnecessary. Um, we don't have voter identification fraud. We don't have people in Missouri saying there's someone else to vote. We have no documented evidence of that. And so there's, it's a problem looking, or it's a solution looking for a problem. What's one policy area where Republicans and Democrats work together in a meaningful way? You just asked me about human trafficking, and Ed Lewis and I have worked really well together on that bill. Um, he has taken a lot of my suggestions, including a lot of suggestions for who to talk to and the stakeholders to get information from. And I think that's an area that's got a lot of bipartisan support. Here is a political question. Is Missouri's U.S. Senate race not worth any Democratic energy if Eric Greitens is not the GOP nominee? I think it's worth Democratic energy. I think we need to be active in all races. Um, but this one, I don't think we're... I don't think Republicans are going to have a candidate that Democrats support. And Democrats need to be active in fighting against that and showing what we're about. You know, we're about representing people and about making sure that every voice is heard in Missouri. And if we don't fight in every race, we can't make sure voices are heard. All right. The final question. Besides Jason Rosenbaum's house, what is your favorite part of the new 83rd district that you will likely represent after 2022? That's a really difficult 
question because the district is big and it's got a lot of great areas. I think I'm going to love representing my kids' school. Um, I haven't represented their school before, and so I'm glad to, that their school is going to be in my district now. It is a wonderful district, and and uh, not only because your kids' school is in it, but it also includes parts of Maplewood, Brentwood, Richmond Heights, as we mentioned before. Um, the, one follow-up question to that, and it's also a political one, and then I will let you go. You know, you were actually drawn into the same district with Representative Ian Mackey, but he decided to run in a adjoining district. How relieved were you that that you were able to work that out and you didn't have to run in a primary against him? Because I think he was relieved, but I'm sure you were even more relieved that that unnecessary primary was avoided. I was very relieved. I am more of a policymaker than a politician. And honestly, if I could just do this job and work on policy and not have to campaign at all, I would be much happier. So I was very relieved that we didn't we were not primarying each other. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Representative Unsicker, for joining us on the show. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah K. Kellogg. You can follow Jason on Twitter at... Jay Rosenbaum. And Representative Unsicker, where can people find you on the internet where you want to be found? My Twitter profile is at Sarah Unsicker. All right. Until next time, so long. So long.